Mighty God, as we reach the ending of this day, we ask that you would grant us to consider rightly your word, that you would work through it by your spirit to change our hearts, to mold our minds, that we would be that, those people you call us to be in your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Well, our passage before us is about a king who does two terrible things and then receives God's word of judgment because of them. Our king is King Belshazzar. He's the Chaldean king of Babylon, and he is in the middle of throwing a mighty feast. Scripture says, verse 1, it is a great feast. Perhaps you could picture it with me. No doubt it is a resplendent banqueting hall, glorious, and it is full. There you will find a thousand of his lords, the great ones of the kingdom, plus his wives, plus his concubines. And in the midst of them, King Belshazzar himself. He cries out, bring me wine. And they bring him wine, and he drinks the wine before them all. And as he's tasting the wine, he cries, bring me the vessels of gold and silver from the treasury of my God, so we can all drink together. And so they go and bring those vessels to him. But what vessels do they bring? They bring him the very same vessels that King Nebuchadnezzar had brought out of the temple of God in Jerusalem. And now they pass them out. They pass out the holy vessels that had been set aside for the true and living God. They pass them to his lords, to his wives, and to his concubines for drinking wine. And they drink. And the drinking continues from God's holy vessels until they then start worshipping. Not worshipping God, but worshipping false and powerless idols. Verse 4, they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. And immediately, verse 5, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared. And it writes on the plaster of the wall. Can you imagine that? The fingers of a human hand appearing out of thin air before their eyes. It is terrifying. This isn't some dead and dumb god of wood or stone like they're used to worshipping. This is a living god, a powerful god, and he is making himself known. And the king sees the hand as it writes. Terrified petrified, scared, witless. Scripture says of him, verse 6, the king's color changes, the blood drains from his face, he grows pale, his mind is crushed in terror, his thoughts alarm him. What could it be? What does it mean? What does this living God want with me? So scared he is, my dear brothers and sisters, that this great king's legs turn to jelly and give way. And his knees knock together. That is to say, he soils himself before his lords in sheer, unmitigated terror at the writing on the wall. But what does the writing say? This is the worst of it all. Our wretched king cannot read the writing. 
So he shouts, bring in the enchanters, bring the Chaldeans, bring the astrologers. And he promises to them great honors and power if only they can interpret the writing to the king. And so they come, the wise men of Babylon. But let me tell you, they are no wiser than the king. Forget about interpreting it. They can't even read it to him. And at this, our king, who was already terrified, becomes deeply alarmed. Perhaps it is that feeling of the criminal in the dock as he sees the judge at any moment about to pronounce a sentence guilty. Guilty as charged. His wise men, his lords, and the king alike are stricken with dread and confusion. They are perplexed until into the midst of them comes, verse 10, the queen. And she says to the king, There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. So she says, let this Daniel be called. He will show you the interpretation. And so they do. They send for Daniel. And Daniel comes before the king. And the king says to Daniel, You're that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah. And the king says, If you can read the writing and make known to me the interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and you will be the third ruler of the kingdom. He says, Daniel responds, verse 17, Let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Do you see what has been happening here so far? Do you see that God has worked to place his prophet Daniel right where he wants him, standing before the king, about to pronounce to the king God's mighty word and this word of god that he brings has three parts first he will remind the king that he does indeed know this true and living god second he will charge the king of two great sins against that living god and third he will pronounce god's own judgment against the king because of it first he explains how the king is not ignorant of god Oh, Daniel, oh, sorry, oh, king, says Daniel, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And he reminds the king of how powerful King Nebuchadnezzar had been. And then he says, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, so he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne. His glory was taken from him. He was fed grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven until he, King Nebuchadnezzar, knew that the Most High God rules over the kingdom of man and sets over it whom he will. And then having reminded him of this, he speaks the knockout punch. Verse 22, he says to the king, And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Ouch. This king is not ignorant concerning this true and living God. Second part of the word of God to the king is to charge him with two great sins against him. And what are they? Verse 23 
Daniel says to the king, And the vessels of his, of God's house, have been brought in before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. He has taken the holy things that belong to God and defiled them in his drinking feast. He defiling God's holy things is a great and grievous sin. And it's no wonder that God judges Belshazzar so seriously for it. And we too must make sure that we do not commit the same evil. But how? Where are these holy things of the temple that we might not defile them? Well, they are not in Jerusalem, nor are they in the treasury. But they are here. They are right here in these very pews. For it is us who in Christ are now the holy things of God's temple. It is us who must not be defiled in any way. On your bulletin, you'll see what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians in the 6th chapter. Flee from sexual immorality, he says. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? He's saying, do not take that temple holy to God and defile it with sexual relations with someone other than your husband or wife. To do that is just as evil as what Belshazzar did with the holy things from the temple. In fact, we must be very careful not to do anything to harm or destroy God's people. As the third chapter says, do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Thus the first of Belshazzar's great transgressions, he defiled the holy things of God. What is the second? Daniel tells the king again, verse 23, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. This is a double-edged word, isn't it? It cuts two ways. First of all, it exposes the stupidity of the king worshipping his idols, those lumps of gold or bronze or iron and wood and stone. They're blind, they are deaf, they are brainless, they are mindless. Whether the king honours them or desecrates them makes no difference to them at all. They're incapable of knowing, let alone responding. Yet this word also cuts the other way. For it says that nevertheless there is a God who does see, who does hear, and does know all things. A powerful God who holds the king's breath in his hands. A God who is well aware of all Belshazzar has been doing instead of honoring him. It really is the height of stupidity, isn't it? to fail to honor the true and the powerful living God who holds your life in his hands in order to honor false and dumb, powerless idols that can do nothing, whether good nor bad. Learn this well. Honoring idols is always both stupid and sinful. Learn the lesson Belshazzar never learned. 
keep away from idolatry. After all, God says the very same warning to us in 1 Corinthians in the 6th chapter. Do not be deceived, he says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It is that serious. Idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we must ask ourselves if we are guilty of this. We must ask ourselves, do I, do I sacrifice chickens? Do I offer food to spirits? Do I pour out drink offerings to that which is no God? Do I honor my ancestors or, or pray to the dead as if they have power over the present? Do I make use of charms and superstitions as if I fear demons rather than the Lord my God? There's no point me kidding myself that God doesn't know. There's no point bluffing that it's just culture because the God who holds my breath in his hands and owns my ways knows every thought of my wicked heart. And he numbers carefully each and every sinful and idolatrous deed that I commit. And perhaps, though, it could be that my idolatry is a more sophisticated or a modern form. Perhaps I'm someone who has forgotten what Colossians in the third chapter says, that covetousness, covetousness is idolatry. Perhaps I'm like the man we heard of in the gospel reading, whose God was the goods of the earth, who wished to say to his soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Or perhaps I'm like that rich young ruler who when Christ said to him, sell all you have and give to the poor, could not. For his heart didn't belong to God but to his riches. Do I, do I pay bribes in order to preserve or increase my riches? Am I serving the God of my bank balance or the God of righteousness? Do I, do I sometimes tell white lies to save face, to avoid shame? Has vain glory taken over from the God of truth who will cast all liars into the lake of fire? Woe be upon me, if for the sake of the fleeting promises of this fickle world, I happily sin against the God in whose hand is my breath, whose are my ways, and who knows every deed of my covetous, idolatrous heart. If God so judges a pagan king like Belshazzar for these things, how much more is he angered when we who take his word upon our lips do the very same things? And it is this judgment which is the third and last part of the word spoken to this king. Daniel says to King Belshazzar, verse 24, Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parsin. And this is the interpretation of the matter. First, he says, Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Many sounds like the word for numbering or counting. The God who holds the kingdoms of the world in his hands 
has numbered the days of Belshazzar's kingdom. It will finish, and so it will. And the same is also true of us. One day God will say to us too, like he did to the man in the gospel, this very night your soul is required of you. It could be any day. It could be soon. It could even be this very night. But when our number is up, there is nothing in the world that will stop it. Belshazzar's ridiculous gods couldn't save him. His thousand mighty lords couldn't help him. His wise men were of no avail, and no amount of wealth or health or power or goods will help us either on the day when God brings us to an end. Psalm 49 promises us that no man can give to God the price for his life. It will never suffice. The second word is tekel. Tekel, he says, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. It sounds like the word for weighed, and it is a terribly frightening picture if you think about it. Belshazzar, weighed down with his wickedness and evil, has been cast into God's weighing scales. Earlier this evening, he seemed so strong, surrounded by his great nobles, able to defy even the God of heaven himself, but unknown to him, this same God has now weighed him and found his righteousness fell far short of his glory. And I must tell you that this awaits all mankind too, that we too must be weighed and if found unrighteous. If we too are found wanting, then we will with terror see those dread scales swing sickeningly the wrong way as we tumble forever into the torments. Hebrews warns us clearly, and I quote, it is given to man to die once, and then comes the judgment. The third word is passing. Daniel says to the king, Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Perez is a singular form of passing. One Perez, two passing. It sounds also like the word for divided or, and the word for Persia. His kingdom will be divided and given to another. A little bit like what happened to the fool in the gospel reading. Do you remember what God said to him? This night your soul is required of you and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? During their lives, both that fool and Belshazzar thought that they were being wise as they pursued their respective idols. But the moment that the word of God came to them, it was exposed as a total foolishness it had always been. And all that remained was the expectation of judgment. But the same is not true of us by the grace of God alone. And you must not miss this. We, yes, we have sinned against God like Belshazzar. Yes, we too, if we are weighed, are found wanting. Yes, too, we, like him, deserve to hear that terrifying, unchangeable word of judgment. But we have not. For this is not the word that God has spoken to you or to me. He has not turned to us in wrath, saying, many, many, tekel and parsin. But with kindness and love, he has smiled upon us. And he has said to us, repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent again, he says, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The word God gives to us 
is sweet, blessed gospel. And in it he says that the written judgment we deserve, the condemnation of our transgressions, has been written, but it has been written against another, against his own beloved son. Although, yes, we, like King Belshazzar, should die for our terrible sins, yet another king, a much better king, Christ Jesus took them upon himself, and that king died in our place. This is exactly what God promises us in Colossians in the second chapter. On your outline, it says, He has cancelled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he has set aside, nailing it to the cross. Do you see what he's saying? Is it, is, it, is it as if he has taken that word of judgment that belongs written on our wall? and put it upon the cross of his son, that the condemnation may be fulfilled in him as his son suffers and dies to wipe that writing clean away once and forever, no more to be remembered. We have heard, really, the most beautiful and wonderful word, haven't we? The word of the gospel. Repent that your sins may be blotted out but amazing grace. How sweet is that sound? But please do not delay to receive that grace. Do not be like Belshazzar, who despite knowing God, still rejected him until it was too late. It seems that he even tried to, to make a bargain with God or, or ameliorate things by giving to Daniel the great treasures and power that he had promised, but Daniel had refused. But by then the time for repentance was gone. The sentence that was written was unchangeable, and so verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. So if today as the psalmist urges. If today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, for you know that another day will come when the number of our days will come to an end and the time for repentance will be no more. A day when if we have not come to the Lord Jesus Christ with repentance and faith, if we are not found in him trusting in the gospel that forgives, blots out and removes forever our sins, then we will hear another word. And it will be that same unchangeable word that Belshazzar heard at his fateful feast. A word of weighed and found wanting and passing with the wicked into the torment. Do not be like him. Hear and trust the sweet word that he now gives. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Through Jesus our King, he who loved us and bore our condemnation for us. Let's pray. Mighty God, our Heavenly Father, we marvel in wonder at the depths and the riches of your love towards us as sinners, that you should send your own Son that he should bear our sins, he should suffer our condemnation, that he should die, that we trusting in him would be forgiven, our sins blotted out never to be remembered again.
Grant us hearts, Heavenly Father, to trust that word. Turn us that we will be saved. Give us the comfort of the sweetness of that gospel of forgiveness. Grant us grace that we should not commit idolatry or mistreat your holy things and your holy people, but live our whole lives in response to your love, ever to your praise and your glory. Amen.